The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. This week is brought to you by Union Bank and Trust. I am joined by... Hale Varsity's managing editor, Brandon Vogel. Once again, Brandon, hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Uh, it has been an eventful morning, so I'd just like to apologize to anybody that's going to be listening to this or watching this. If you hear a bunch of, uh, I don't know, very loud vehicles, if a semi goes by, I'm sitting at a Starbucks right now. Um, I won't bore you with why. Brandon, how was uh, how was the trip back from Ireland? Are you Are you back to... I guess normal what eastern time like is your body clock adjusted back yeah it took a it was monday was definitely a little bit rough i was happy to not have a nebraska press conference that day to just kind of reacclimate. and then by tuesday i kind of started feeling back to normal um i got a, I had a seat by myself in, from dublin to new york city so that was great nice. made made that seven hour flight uh a lot more comfortable for me so and no no travel issues going there or back which uh i was very worried about in the lead up to that game so all things considered i felt like uh it went about as well as it could have for you not for the team that was there along with you. <laughs> yeah i talked all off season about <laughs> man that would not be fun to come back with a loss from that game and it was northwestern it was a northwestern nebraska game you knew it was possible and so it went uh, makes this north dakota game plenty interesting because there's not a lot to be gained from a game like this in terms of public perception uh trust from the fan base it's just kind of go out there win by three touchdowns like you're projected to on the line and uh maybe then we'll we'll just get to next week which i don't take it as a given that nebraska's gonna beat this north north dakota team by three touchdowns either no i mean you put yourself in a toxic situation where if you know if you don't win by 25 points then it's well why did you not win by 25 points it's what what's wrong with you it's we'll get more Scott Frost hot seat talk because it was, I mean, it was like, it seemed like those columns were ready to roll the second the, uh, you know, that, that onside kick didn't confirm. Like it felt like that stuff was already in the can pre-written almost. And, you know, that was, it was a rough game. Um, and I, and I want to talk to you about that game. So for anybody that wants North Dakota preview, go to the IED preview podcast. It's Brandon's podcast. It's an excellent show. Brandon previewed the game. If you want to talk about North Dakota, if you're ready to move on from Northwestern, go listen to that podcast. It'll scratch that itch. Brandon, I want to talk to you about this Northwestern game. And I think the place that I want to start is just ask you, there were, there were two, two pressing concerns for me. One of them was the way the pass game looked in the fourth quarter. 
The other one was just a complete lack of a pass rush throughout the entire game. Um, and I you know, really we can extend that to the defensive line just played poorly. I just I was, was really disappointed by the way the defensive line played. So which was more pressing as you watched it live in person? Was it drops the way the pass game looked just general, like a lack of a rhythm in the pass game in that fourth quarter or the second half, or was it the defensive line? Probably the defensive line, you know, because the passing game, at least in my perspective, looked pretty good for 75% of that game. And not only that, it looked pretty good despite the lack of much run game whatsoever. I went through it back through. Live stats weren't working in the stadium. Well, the internet wasn't working in the stadium, basically. Uh, So I went through and recharted the game in the way I normally do. And just the number of like, one-yard runs, two-yard runs, zero-yard runs um, stood out to me. So on my list of concerns coming from that game, the run game is, is certainly up there. But of the two options you gave me, the defensive line. And, I mean, we knew coming in that the interior defensive line had a lot of questions to answer. Um, didn't answer any of them in a good way, I don't think, against Northwestern. And then with that edge rusher group, if you told me Nebraska wouldn't even have a, a sack, I would have been really, really surprised when you look at the players there. Um, Caleb Tanner, who put on a press conference this week that I wanted to give a standing ovation, it was just perfect in every regard. And I mean, I understand they're just words, but you know, a, a newly minted captain. Well, we've got two captains at that edge rusher spot. Uh, Garrett Nelson drew a tough assignment against a good player, but you still want to see those guys win some of them. And I think by PFF, I think O'Shawn Mathis actually graded out the best um, among that group, but they just weren't able to spend any time in Northwestern's backfield, whether that was against the run or whether it was when, when uh, Helensky dropped back to pass. Yeah, this is like – this was a problem, and then last season with Cam Taylor-Britt sort of coming into its own, it felt like that problem sort of dissipated a little bit. But it's back where quarterbacks playing Nebraska's defense looked like the second coming of Tom Brady. Um, heading into this game, I was not concerned about Ryan Helensky at all. And then he looked incredible. He looked wonderful. And I don't want to I don't want to sit and knock the defensive backs because I thought Marcus Buford played a pretty good game, actually. Um, but, you know, when there is no pass rush, they had eight total pressures all game long, checked by PFF, one hit. That's not good enough. And at, did they have a single tackle for loss? Like, did they have a single tackle in the backfield? Uh, I, I think the they did. It didn't feel like they did. Yeah, I think they did. I think I recall seeing them, although the stats were also a mess. So it depends on when you last looked at the, at the game book. Maybe that's changed. I think they had a couple of – yeah, they definitely did because I was going through and charting it, and there were a couple like minus one, minus two yard runs for Northwestern. But <clears throat> that was that was really it. You know, Ty Robinson was the guy that was the, the the known on that offensive line, minus the transfers that they had. He graded out the lowest by by PFF, and you know, it's not like those things are, are gospel. In fact, they're <laughs> a little too opaque for me to totally love them. But it's something. And by however they do it, it was it was a rough game for the guy that needs to be good for them. Saw a couple of good things I thought from from Devin Drew. I was surprised that 
he ended up getting uh, more snaps than win, despite showing up later. And Colton Feast, Colton Feast probably had the best day of, of that group up there. So if you're looking for encouraging signs, that's one of them. Interesting. Well, I, I guess I kept seeing Colton Feast get pushed out of his gaps. What, what were you seeing with, with him in his game that, that leads you to say that? I thought he, he did a good job of ch- chasing down a couple of plays. Um, you know, I think I got to see um, why he was kind of the fall camp guy. And, and you, you also see where he's coming from as, as a walk-on, right? I mean, it's possible that that Northwestern line is just pretty good, which, you know, I'm not using putting that out there as a potential excuse for Nebraska. It just is. Like, I mean, they – we know what we know about Skaronsky, but they had three other starters returning on that group, and I think the the line as a whole got moved way too much. I mean, both both sides, uh, whether it was Nebraska's O line or D line, Northwestern won those batch matchups emphatically, um, which is a tough pill to swallow. You know, it's not just the loss; it's if that's going to be the case, you know how hard this is going to be for Nebraska in the Big Ten. The thing that also like I kept having to remind myself is this is a Northwestern team coming off of a bad season. So like in week one, like this could be a, another big 10 West champion Northwestern team, uh, especially if, you know, if Ryan Holinsky looks the same way that he did against Nebraska, particularly in the first half throughout the rest of the season. I mean, you know, this is what they do. They, you know, lose eight, nine games and then they turn around and they win eight, nine games the next year. Um, so, you know, one of the overreaction pieces of, of this week zero game is you're like, well, I mean, you know, maybe this is just good, bad Northwestern, good Northwestern. This is just the yo-yo and Nebraska caught him at the wrong time. But the thing that surprised me, O'Shawn Mathis played 36 snaps. He wasn't on the field a ton. It was about half of, of, uh, of what Garrett Nelson played. Did that surprise you? Did that – I guess when you were watching the game, were you like, O'Shawn Mathis should be out here more? No, I don't think I had that reaction. Uh, maybe a couple of times where, you know, that game wore on and you're just like, are they really not going <clears> to <throat> not gonna bother this quarterback at all? Maybe you think, well, bringing the guy who, who did that at a pretty high level two years ago for sure, not so much last year, but at TCU. But, you know, that was, that was one of the interesting things going into that game too is you've got three guys at that spot that I think are pretty good. And they did go – a couple, I'm forgetting the number, Jacob uh, Jacob Padilla, of course, went through and charted all the personnel packages. And they did have uh, a, a package where all three of those guys were on the field at the same time. And I think Garrett Nelson basically dropped down into a, a three-point stance in a more like defensive tackle spot. So I think we'll see more of that. Um, I think we'll see more of Mathis. He, he was one of the guys who, who spoke out after the game, like – that's a veteran player. I think that's a player you can lean on. And you talk about takeaways from this game. It was probably more on offense. Um, but were all of Nebraska's touchdowns scored by basically transfers? I mean, Grant Thompson, Garcia Castaneda. Like, the the new blood was apparent, particularly on offense. Um defense will it's not as heavy on that side but I think we'll see more from those guys and particularly on the defensive line that's where we're talking about the biggest infusion 
Yeah, and we'll go to the offense in a second, but one more thing that I wanted to, to ask you about the defensive line. So I texted I texted Greg Smith after the game, and I was like, watching them play, my brain immediately went to the 2019 defensive line for Nebraska that had Carlos and Khalil Davis, Damian and Darian Daniels, a young Ty Robinson, a young Casey Rogers, DeAndre Thomas. And I was looking at the defensive line that Nebraska was rolling out against Northwestern. It has gotten smaller. They don't have one of those guys. And maybe, you know, maybe this is the season where Nash Hutmacher grows and grows into being sort of a reliable um, like hole plugger, like plugger in the middle. But they don't have one of those guys. And watching, you know, Ty Robinson and Colton Feast sort of be the, the two interior guys with Garrett Nelson put his hand in the dirt as an outside linebacker who's now just like playing defensive end. Um, I, I couldn't help but think about how much this defensive line has changed over the last three years. And I wondered about, what is it, you know, if, if Tony Tuioti is still there, do they have Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers still? Would those guys have been significant pieces if they even were still here? Uh, I think Casey would have. But I guess, is, is, that, a, is that an overreaction to this game, to, to look at this defensive line and say, this, this line is smaller. This line is not as good as, as it has been. They've taken steps back. No, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> turns out Damian Daniels was a pretty big guy and pretty athletic guy, wasn't he? Um, and and they don't they don't have that that person on the roster now. I mean, <clears throat> I look at those two key transfers on the interior, and I, I think there's still some some room for optimism there, particularly with Drew. I mean, Win is so far seems like a, a very capable player, which is basically what he was at Alabama. Um, but, you know, Damian Daniels in particular, and even DeAndre Thomas, who, you know, was kind of undersized for that spot too, but made up for it in other ways. You know, those were guys you would notice. And it, it, it's just my lasting takeaway from that Northwestern game is if I was noticing the D line, it was not for a, it was not for a good reason. No, and I had I had someone text me and tell me that this is the problem with loading up on transfers at this point in the timeline. Because like you look at somebody like Wynn or somebody like O'Shawn Mathis, like they need time to get acclimated. They need they need time. And and you can you know, you can go through fall camp, you can go through summer workouts with the team and you, you can you can get used to your teammates and used to the scheme. It's just different when the games start. And it was it it's gonna take them some time for them to sort of gel on the field in game situations. The problem is given the timeline that we're working on, Nebraska doesn't have that time. Nebraska didn't have that, didn't have that luxury of time where this game was so vitally important to them and to the season and to the head coach that if it didn't look, uh, if, if it didn't look like a finished product right away, this was potentially going to happen and this happened. And now, you know, all I have seen since this game ended was Scott Frost fired, Scott Frost fired, Scott Frost hot seat, time to fire Scott Frost. I think a Pat Forty column after the game was they should have done this last year. What more do they need to see? It's all kinds of just negativity. And I was listening to Chris Peterson on Fox Sports um, 
I think like their game breakdown sort of after the game. And Peterson kept saying, they just need to block out the negativity. They just need to block out the negativity. If they can just get some positive vibes around the program, then, then things will start to be a little bit better and move in the right direction. Um, I don't know how they block out the negativity, Brandon, because it's just incessant. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And I think the other piece of it, I was thinking about this post-game during the players' press conference, uh, another angle to this. I'm, like, fascinated by the potential – dynamic within the team here because up at the post game at the podium you had Garrett Nelson and Travis Vokalek who just lost whatever number of <laughs> games it is for them individually by a single score and and you have Casey Thompson who's going through it for the first time they're over here they're like yeah this is this is pretty much our life unfortunately um <laughs> Versus Casey Thompson, somebody who's experienced. And I think that can be a potential positive for Nebraska, having some of those guys who haven't built up like, oh, it's the same story again. But it also has the potential to, you know, be a little divisive. And I think navigating that is is a really key thing for, for Nebraska going forward. Um, you know, the, as, as rough as that loss was, and while I understand why Pat Forty is out there writing what, it, what he's going to write, of course he is. Um, like, for, for all of the good and the bad in that game, and mostly bad, like, it could have gone easily the, uh, the other way, which is, I think, the source of most frustration for Nebraska fans because they're like, this again. Um, so as, as we've gotten further removed from it, I, I just try to keep that piece of it in mind. Like that game could have easily gone the other way. Like you get these next two, which I don't take for granted, but okay. You can start to, to piece together. It's still possible for Nebraska to have the season it needs to have. It just didn't get any easier. In fact, it got harder. I did. It got, it got, it got a lot harder. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Okay, let's, let's transition over the offense. Offensive line... <laughs> um, I, again, I'm going to use PFF's grading PFF's numbers, which, which we both agree is 
take it should be taken with a grain of salt because we don't know what goes into them. Um, none of the the starting five offensive linemen scored better than fifty six as a run blocker. Um, Turner Corcoran was sub fifty. Prohaska was surprisingly sub forty as an overall blocker grade. Ben Hart was the highest graded. Offensive lineman with a 60.1. 60.1 is the highest graded among your five offensive linemen. It's not exactly great. Um, they got Henry Latovsky in for a little bit more than a dozen or so snaps, um, which was encouraging to see, but maybe that was the only encouraging thing. Their best run was a stretch run to the outside, or they just had Anthony Grant basically run to the sideline and try to see what he could get. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, we talked about this offensive line all offseason long and how important it was going to be. And, like, I opened asking you about the pass game. I thought Casey Thompson looked great to start. There were some throws that he made, particularly in the first half, where he was under duress and he delivered some really accurate balls or some really um, – he, he just made some really good plays. He was kind of what we were told that we were going to be getting. Um, the lack of rhythm sort of in the fourth quarter – Guys dropping balls. Receivers were credited with six drops in the game. Um, they're like, I, I think you were you were right on the money. Obviously, it's you. Of course, you are to bring up the <laughs> bring up the the run game, sort of impacting the pass game. They could not get anything going on the ground. So the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball was a real issue. Yeah, it, it was, and you know, this is a I think a dangerous spot for Nebraska. Because, well, I don't, I didn't feel like the running backs, the group of running backs, Anthony Grant got over 100 yards, had 46 on one run. I didn't think they had a particularly great day in terms of seeing things, which, you know, could have helped those O-line grades a little bit. But still, it was obvious just watching the game of like, oh, Nebraska's not winning up there. And, and it hasn't won up there for a long time. And now... So Casey Thompson, I agree with you. Watching him, even despite the fourth quarter, I was like, oh, you can win some games with that guy. I mean, that touchdown pass, well, it wasn't in and in of a touchdown, but the scramble, I was like, when he peeled back, I was like, oh, that's a terrible decision. Um, and then he, like, backed up and got himself enough room, waited. It was a phenomenal play. Waited until the last mo- possible moment to let that ball go. I, it, was, it was amazing. Um, but he – he's not going to be a run threat and we've seen for the past the, the big biggest question on offense for the last three seasons has been Nebraska doesn't get enough out of its running backs, which is related to the O-line. Adrian Martinez took the wear and tear he did because he was there. He was their run game that worked and you don't have a quarterback who's going to do that now. So you better figure it out and you better figure it out pretty quickly. Um, you can get more creative if that's a, the term that Frost wants to use with the run game, uh, and that might help some. But the fact of the matter is you got to be able to turn around and hand the ball off and get yards when you need to get yards. It can't be your entire plan, but you just got to win individually at some point. And Nebraska hasn't done that on a consistent basis in the run game for a long time. No, not I mean, not since Devino Zingo left. Um where, was the was their best run in the game when Logan Smothers came in for one play? Was that their best run? Probably. I mean, minus Anthony Grant's great individual play, you know, which if he doesn't make that, it's a it's a six yard gain. But I mean, he he made that by making a great cut and then slipping through a tackle. Um, 
But yeah, when when Logan Smothers came in, it was it was curious because with where that game was at that point, and what Nebraska had did had done to Northwestern a year ago with that type of run game, like it, it was it was bizarre to see him go out after after just one play where he picked up I think seven yards. You know, throw a change up at him and, and see what that is because. You know, part of the, I think, fourth quarter struggles in the past game, too, was uh, losing Vokalek didn't help, but Nebraska no. didn't vary a whole lot. Um, so well, I, I look back at that game and I go, oh, the adjustments battle here? Emphatically Northwestern. Like, you had a great script, you came out, went down the field, picked up two touchdowns pretty quickly. Um, but teams team, this is how these things go teams prepare for that and then they adjust and when when northwestern adjusted defensively whatever those adjustments were nebraska was slower to do it if it did it at all on any large scale all right well you brought it up so we have to talk about it now that's coaching that's happened in nebraska over and over and over again under scott frost and while the onside kick did not lose them the game, it was striking to see Frost basically relegated to sideline observer for most of the game. He's not calling plays anymore. Doesn't really have a hand in the defense. And he tries to get involved and put his fingerprints on the game, whatever cliche you want to use, with that onside kick. And it backfires so spectacularly. And now you have this, this other piece of it where you look at it and you say, he got outcoached by Pat Fitzgerald from an adjustment standpoint, from a, you know, what are you doing at halftime to counteract what they're doing that maybe you didn't expect? Well, I, what do you, I mean, what do, you, what do you do at this point? Like, what what can what can Frost do at this point? Is it a, is it a? I mean, is it a confidence thing that he's dealing with? Like, what 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 do we what do we do at this point with the head coach? Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't think it's a confidence thing because the onside kick was was nothing if not a confident call. Um, <clears throat> in fact, my post game call kind of took the opposite track. It was like. You know, it's shocking to me that Nebraska has lost in this same fashion so many, so many times to so many of the same opponents, and it's still a risk you're going to take. Um, and, and, and what that signifies, you know, we'll see as we go forward. Maybe it's maybe it's a finally lesson learned type of thing, but they're just in a division that's full of teams that do not allow nonsense uh i guess would be the the way to put that and you know i don't think that's where this coaching staff and frost in particular came in at like ucf 0 and 12 6 and 7 13 and 0 everything worked exactly the way you laid it out and frost has acknowledged a little bit more often recently i feel like of the adjustment of learning the big 10, which, you know, we can pitch that against what he said on his opening press conference and be like, okay, well, there's some, I I guess, at least humbleness, some growth potentially, but you just don't see it on on the field. And I think they believe so much in like their ideas and what they do that 
admitting, you know, this has to just be a little bit ugly at times. This has to be a little bit boring at times still seems to be a hurdle they either haven't or don't want to clear. I saw a quote floating around Twitter that was attributed to Pat Fitzgerald, and I'm not entirely sure if he actually said it. So I'm going to ask you something vague and see if you heard. Did Pat Fitzgerald have any kind of comments after the game that you saw or that you heard about that could be construed as a shot at Scott Frost or a shot at the program that he's built from a culture standpoint? No, nothing that jumps out at me. And I sat there, uh, I was there for Pat Fitzgerald's entire post-game conference. Well, I think okay. I missed the last couple of minutes. But... Okay. Because I saw something that, to the effect, Ed was saying that, there was one team on the field that had a championship culture and that was Northwestern. And that comment was attributed to Pat Fitzgerald. And I, I looked at it and I saw it and I was like, I don't, Pat doesn't seem like the kind of guy to make those kinds of post-game shots and throw digs at coaches. So that kind of caught me off guard. But then I thought about it and I was like, this is what Scott Frost does to opposing coaches though. Like this is, this is that sort of, um, bravado, arrogance, confidence, whatever you want to call it, nonsense that sort of other coaches beat them and then want to take shots at them or other teams beat them. And then somebody that's in a leadership position with that team or that athletic department wants to take shots at them. Um, and okay. So I, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was real. If you didn't hear anything about it. Well, I, I did. I did hear you know the, the word culture uh, come up attributed to Pat Fitzgerald somewhere. I thought it was uh, more like a fan event that happened, like before they left Ireland or something along those lines. But either either way, I mean, it's you know PJ Fleck did it a year ago, and it wouldn't be that surprising because how how else do you explain? how Nebraska continues to lose the the way that it does. I mean, I feel like I have almost checked off every possible way a team can lose by by one score at this point. You know, I, I agree with you, the onside kick, which is not a decision I would have supported even if Nebraska had gotten it, uh, didn't lose them the game specifically. But I'll, I'll chalk it up as, well, you could lose a one-score game by an ill-advised onside kick in the same way that I'll chalk up last year's Iowa game too. Well, you could have a punt blocked and you could lose a one score game that way. That play didn't lose Nebraska the game, but it started it. Um, so I don't know. I think the, maybe the only one left is Nebraska's up by Nebraska's no, up don't one. No, don't even say it. Don't even say it. No, we're not putting it out there. No, don't even okay. say it. We're not putting it out there because it's going to happen. The second you put it out there, it's going to happen. We're not, we're not, we're not doing I mean, it. It's really, it's really improbable. So, but okay, that's fine. I agree. It's your show. It was, <laughs> um, I saw, I, I saw a study after the game and I wish I had it in front of me so that I could attribute the study that the onside kick over the last five years in college football has a success rate below 24%. Yep. I, I would just, we need to get all the coaches in a room together and just yell at them. Stop kicking onside kicks unless there's 10 seconds left and you need a touchdown. Stop it. No more. No more. And the excuse after the game for, that, that Frost gave was that he wanted to end the game 
was way too early. Way too early. And I saw, I think, Amir Abdullah yeah. said something on Twitter to the same effect. Way too early to try to end the game. And, you know, we're in agreement here. I'm going to say it again. It didn't, it didn't lose them the game. But you look back through the last few years of the Scott Frost tenure. Very loud semi-truck. Sorry. Um, you look back through the last few years of the Scott Frost tenure, and you can point to individual moments that didn't necessarily lose the team the game but started the ball rolling downhill. And that's what that did. And you could feel the team tighten up after they didn't get it. Northwestern immediately scored a touchdown. You could feel the team tighten up. And earlier you said something that I I think is really, really interesting and and really spot on where you wonder how sort of the team dynamics play out with all of these transfers that haven't experienced this and all of these – um, local kids and returning players who have experienced this, who have very real scar tissue from this. Um, it's just, it's just going to be fascinating to see sort of what happens going forward. I mean, I, I guess, so to, to, to bring this back, what do you have more confidence in improving over these next few weeks, the defensive line play or the offensive line play? That's a, it's a really good question while I mold that. Um, the, the data you're referring to is from the website, uh, I think the 33rd player, just if yes. anybody wants to, to go find that and look back because it was super interesting and it was a pretty good sample size of six seasons. Um, I'll, I'll go with the defensive line. Um, because I, I remain the president of Devon Drew Fan Club, because I think Garrett Nelson, O'Shawn Mathis, Caleb Tanner, if we're including them as quote unquote defensive linemen, uh, Ty Robinson, <laughs> he's kind of the, the fulcrum to this, and he needs to be better than he was in that game against Northwestern. So that, but ultimately, it comes down to I'm betting on basically Shenander and his team of assistants versus Donovan Rayola, who, you know, I don't really know much about. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, have, didn't have a ton of direct college, well, virtually no direct college experience at this level, at least. So the OI is going to remain pretty much a mystery for me for probably a couple more weeks. I think you could start to see the D line, uh, Figure some figure some things out, but certainly be better than they were to open the season. Did you guys hear from Rayola in fall camp? Once he once. was, yeah, just once, and he is not the the most talkative person, which is is fine. I am not the most talkative person uh, either. Uh, so, but yeah, it's just it's kind of strange because he was scheduled one day and then something came up and he couldn't do it and it basically pushed his schedule back. So he was one of the guys that we only heard from one time in fall camp. Because I think it was you that I had on here when I asked you, like, is there a greater than 0% chance that that, that rescheduled availability just like doesn't happen and you don't get them before the season starts. So, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, they got, they had 10 questions, not the least of which is how many times did they puke in practice this week? <laughs> oh boy. It's just, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. Like the, the, the coming back from Ireland thing, 
was was always going to be a challenge whether they won or they lost it became a bigger challenge after a loss i imagine but good it's a good thing they have a game this week um because kind of sitting and stewing with these things for another nine days uh i don't think would have been the best for the state of nebraska much less nebraska football no because it's i mean it's you know anthony grant showed some stuff um like we talked casey thompson showed some stuff um there were a couple of solid to encouraging individual defensive performances uh like there's there's ways that you can build from this i saw somebody i saw somebody tweet after the game and say like there's still a scenario where Nebraska wins eight games this year, <laughs> like you know, yeah. seven or eight games this year. I'm not, I'm not betting on it right now, but there's still a scenario where it happens because, like we said at, at the beginning, like there's a scenario where this Northwestern team also wins eight games this year and they're just good. Um, yeah. Opening with a conference opponent is tough. We'll see what happens with Nebraska against North Dakota. We'll see what happens. Yeah, there is that scenario, and I mean, that trek begins anew (laughs) this week. Really got to take care of business, and you'll have an opportunity against Oklahoma. I'm super interested to watch the suitors to see what that looks like. Um, Nebraska's not going to be favored in that game, or I thought there was a chance where if they beat Northwestern, maybe they were, but... um, Illinois looked pretty good against Wyoming. I'll be really interested in the Illinois-Indiana game, which I think Indiana is favored in. They play on Friday night, um, which surprises me a little bit. But, yeah, the Illinois game, uh, that one's probably – I mean, we're talking about one-game results here. So, But that's one where I was like, oh, maybe that Illinois game is a little bit tougher than you would have thought when just looking at it on schedule. So, we'll see. You'll get some that go both ways uh, with that. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, but very interested in Indiana. I'll be watching that that Indiana Illinois game closely. Yeah, the Tom Allen is somebody's favorite guy. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. 
and their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What were you going to say before I cut you off? No, I mean, it, it's it's a good one because those are those are looking like two key games for Nebraska um, and two teams that, you know, Indiana really, really took a step back recently, which when you look at what they lost from their coaching staff after those 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 good seasons kind of makes sense. But still a well-coached team, I think, uh, you know, a lot of questions for me on them with them on offense. And they're just going to be really young, but it's the type of team that's beaten Nebraska before. So um, I'll be interested to get a look at those two. Every, every kind of team has beaten Nebraska before. So, well, um, yeah. 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 <laughs> Brandon, you got to go. You got stuff you got to do. I, man, I'm ending it on like a unnecessary shot at Nebraska. I'm sorry. That was just that's where where my head was at. It, that game ended, and I got a text from from a family member. They're like, "How are you?" I was like, "Man, I don't know if I can do another season of this. I need this to that. Like, I need I need this to not be another full season of this." So, I can only imagine how, you know, the people that were in the rail yard watching this game, the people that have been you know counting down the days for this season to start. I can only imagine how you guys are feeling. So I'm sorry for running it on an unnecessary shot in Nebraska. But Brandon, you got to go. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like I said in the beginning, Brandon's I-80 preview podcast is up and running for the new week. Takes a look at North Dakota. Go listen to that. Subscribe to it if you aren't already. Also, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Leave a a five-star review, please. And thank you. Uh, in In a rating, if you hate it, let me know. You got suggestions? Let me know. If you love it, let me know. Thank you guys for listening every single week. Shout out to Brandon for coming on once again. This is like two two weeks in a row, and like three or four times in the last five or six. Like this is good. We got a good rhythm going. And then shout out to Cam for producing this episode every week. We'll be back next week. Thanks, guys. A Huda Media Production.